Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Rostein. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. And that leads us to today's topic. Our six-year-old still wets the bed at night. We know this phase will eventually pass, but we're wondering what we can do or shouldn't do as parents to help. Any tips? So bedwetting, this is a common and tricky problem for children. Yeah, and it can be really distressing for parents as well. So Andon reached out because a six-year-old's still wetting the bed and wants to know how long he should expect this to continue and what strategies may help dry up the situation. <laughs> right. So this can be a really big deal for parents, which is totally understandable. It means daily laundry. For kids, it might mean that they're resisting normal developmental activities like sleepovers due to potential embarrassment, especially as they're getting older. And it's a great, great topic to discuss, so I'm happy he brought it up. Let's start with some background on bedwetting. Okay, so we call this nocturnal aneurysis in the medical world. So how common is it? It's super common. As you can imagine, once a kid starts potty training, around two to three, they mostly will continue to wear pull-ups at night because they're Mm -hmm. still having accidents during this time. But by age six, when a child should be out of pull-ups, still 5 million or 10 to 15 percent of kids are continuing to wet the bed at night. And boys are much more common than girls, so almost two to three more times likely. So that's a large percentage of kids who are bedwetting, but six years old is still pretty young. So what about when they grow up? How much does it continue? Yeah, that's a good point. So each year, about 15% of kids will stop wetting the bed so that into the teenage and adult years, only 1% to 2% of people will wet the bed. So 1% to 2% isn't insignificant, but still, if you're one of those 1% to 2%, that has to be pretty distressing -hmm. distressing for teens and for the um, adults in the family. Right. So let's look into um, a little bit of physiology before we get into the details and explain to parents why this is so common. And in young children, it's really a normal part of their brain development. Right. So tell us why, Dr. Dean. Tell us about that physiology. Okay. So the main issue is that the majority of young children um, is the issue about sleep arousal. And that is that their bladder and their brain aren't communicating effectively. So the brain is not signaling to awaken when the bladder is full, and at times doesn't even signal the child to wake up when they're wet. Hmm. So frequently, the parents of kids who have issues with wetting the bed note that they themselves are extremely heavy sleepers. That's a good point. So those kids are like really, really heavy sleepers, and Mm -hmm. the parents may have been heavy sleepers too. Mm -hmm. Other causes of bedwetting include kids that actually produce more urine at night than expected. This is a medical term called nocturnal polyuria. Mm -hmm. Or kids can have a small bladder capacity, so they can't hold as much urine. Mm -hmm. One clue to this last one might be that your kid seems that they're urinating more frequently throughout the day and night, so not just a nighttime issue. Mm -hmm. And then there's the genetic predisposition. So Mm -hmm. if one parent experiences problems with nocturnal aneurysis, on average, half their children will as well. And if both parents did, then three quarters of their children will. Wow, that's a big correlation for sure. Mm. But it's important to remember that these things aren't mutually exclusive. So your parents could have had bedwetting issues, and then you could also have a smaller bladder capacity. Right. And that creates the perfect storm for bedwetting. Right. Given there tend to be conditions that can trigger bedwetting, we break down this diagnosis further into primary monosymptomatic nocturnal aneurysis, 
monosymptomatic being this bedwetting is the only symptom. These kids will have no other history of urinary symptoms or bladder issues. And if a child has had an issue with one of these things in the past, for example, recurrent urinary tract infections? Then we would call it non-monosymptomatic nocturnal enuresis. But I think that we're getting a little bit more detailed than parents themselves have to worry about. That's more for us as medical professionals. Right, but this is good for teaching medical students too, right? (laughs) Right, right. So what if a child has had a dry period, like he hasn't wet the bed in a year, and then they start again? Right. Then we refer to this as secondary nocturnal enuresis, and we can talk about why this might happen and some things to look for more about this later. Okay. So we know that this can be a normal part of the maturing brain network, but as medical providers, we don't want to miss an underlying medical problem. We're always worried about that. So this could be something that could be easily treated to alleviate the issue Mm -hmm. or even something that could be serious. Right. That's absolutely right. One of the most common causes of bedwetting is actually constipation, and it's super common in kids, and if it's appropriately treated, it can help the problem go away. Mm -hmm. The reason constipation causes bedwetting is because a large amount of stool may actually push up against the bladder and prevent it from expanding all the way, kind of to help, um, you know fill during the nighttime. To hold more urine. Right, exactly. Yeah, so if your doctor notices this, they may prescribe a medication to help clean out the stool and keep your child more regular. And the most commonly used medication is a laxative, and that's polyethylene glycol, and the brand name that you'll hear a lot is usually Miralax. Right, correct. There are other commonly related conditions that we can discuss more later in the podcast. So when you visit your doctor with this concern, they may ask a bunch of questions Like, how long has it been going on? What time does it occur most nights? How much fluid and what types of fluid does your child drink in a day? Has your child had any previous dry periods? And how often do they stool and what's it like? And do they ever have continence issues during the day? Right. Those are just a few questions and they should ask even more than that. Your child's physician will perform an exam, which may include a look at the genital area as well as a neurologic exam. They may prefer to form something called a urinalysis, which is where they ask your child or or collect a small amount of urine in a cup to see if they have any signs of infection or glucose, which can be a sign of diabetes. Mm -hmm. Or if the urine's really dilute, then that can give us some information too. Mm -hmm. Guidelines say that every kid that has a problem with bedwetting after a certain age should get a urinalysis at least once to look for these things. Any urinalysis, I mean, for us, we think of it as not being a very big deal because yeah. it's not like there's not no, it's like not a, invasive, no needle or anything like right. that. And by six, when you're hoping, you know, that was probably the earliest we would look into it, you know, a kid can pee in a cup on their own. So totally uninvasive. Right. So some physicians may ask you to keep a diary documenting all eliminations. So stools, the day and nighttime urination, and the fluids consumed, and even at times the volume of urine to help pinpoint the problem. Right. So let's assume you've done this first step. Your kid's wetting the bed. You know, you have a seven or eight-year-old. He's wetting the bed. And you go see your doctor, and all of this first stuff comes up normal. The urinalysis is normal. Right, correct. So your physician is suspecting primary monosymptomatic nocturnal enuresis. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do we go about recommending parents should treat bedwetting? So the first criteria is that this child is motivated for it to stop. So if the child's not bothered by the bedwetting, then this is really going to be difficult because we've got these proven methods to 
reduce bedwetting, but they're not going to work unless the kid's really motivated. Right. They're kind of a lot of work, which we'll get into for mm-hmm. the kid. So if the child is motivated, the first recommendation your doctor will likely give and that we would recommend is to limiting your child's nighttime fluid intake. A good rule of thumb is for the child to consume two-thirds of their fluid goal by the end of the school day and one-third after school, but cut off drinking completely the last one or two hours before bed. Because we don't want to put too much pressure on the bladder. Exactly. We want to make sure it can hold um, as much urine as the kids are producing. Correct. Okay, so also having a stable bedtime routine is essential for these kids. And we talk about routine, <laughs> routine every episode. almost every episode. It's really important for children to, to have these routines. Um, so normally, of course, you'd want them to urinate to pee before bedtime. And then as soon as they wake up, they should um, urinate also. Um, and parents may also want to consider stopping using pull-ups or diapers at night once they're reliably potty trained during the day because... For some kids, these may be used as a crutch and could continue to trick their brains into thinking that they don't have to wake up to urinate. Right. Um, These are all great points. And obviously, each of these is unique for every family, right? So I have, you know, these are just suggestions and you have to do what works best for you and your kid. So I know that parents are all expert at looking at Dr. Google Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and finding some of these already. So... um, if this, these recommendations that we've talked about already mm-hmm. aren't working, then what are the next steps? So there's two interventions that are recommended by the ICCS, the International Children's Continent Society. <laughs> I always love like all of these acronyms that we're learning, uh-huh. researching for these episodes. This is something that I never knew about. There's but a the society ICCS, for everything, right? Yes, there is a society for anything. Mm-hmm. So. The ICCS recommends one proven effective strategy is an enuresis or bedwetting alarm. Right. And so the bedwetting alarm, it's worn attached to the pajamas or underwear. And then this works by alerting the child as soon as it detects any wetness or moisture. Right. So it facilitates arousal from sleep. So it wakes the kid up. Um, At first, if your child is a very heavy sleeper, it might not wake them up. So parents need to play an active role, sometimes even sleeping in the room with the child, um, that they get their kid up when they hear it Mm -hmm. and walk them to the bathroom. If they did already have an accident, help them change the sheets, change their pajamas before going back to bed. Mm -hmm. And the alarm needs to be used um, every night. And it may take two to three months to work for this sort of conditioning to work. But it has been shown to be very successful. Um, It also costs about $60, and it's typically not covered by insurance. So this can be a barrier for some families. Right. I've had some parents that just think this is too expensive. So we can talk about some other methods, too. But a very, very good tool. In a review of literature, it showed that consistent alarm use was shown to cure, completely cure nocturnal enuresis in up to two-thirds of children. So that's a pretty pretty good success rate. That's a pretty good success rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is recommended that you continue to use the alarm until you've had 12, uh, two weeks, excuse mm-hmm. me. 14 days. <laughs> 14 days, uh-huh. two weeks of consecutive dry nights. Mm-hmm. So don't stop after you've had like three dry nights. It's going to take a little longer than they'll that. Be, they'll have a relapse. Exactly. Yeah, Okay. So let's say you've been using the alarm for three months and you've been limiting the fluids before bed and the kid's peeing right before bed. All the things we've talked about and still nothing. Still, there's nightly bedwetting. Now what? 
So at this time, it might be appropriate to talk to your doctor about the second intervention that's recommended by the ICCS. And that is? Medications. Okay. So the most commonly used medication is desmopressin. Mm-hmm. Other names for it are DDAVP or mm-hmm. desmopressin is what most parents would know. Mm-hmm. It works to reduce the amount of urine that's produced overnight. So it may be more beneficial for those kids that we talked about earlier that were overproducers. Yeah, so studies have shown that um, when you use the desmopressin, that there's about a 20 to 30% response rate. So not as dramatic as the alarm. Yeah, but still significant. And if you're in, if you're stuck in that position where you failed the alarm, then it's, you know, you got to try something else. Right, it might be worth a shot. Mm-hmm. It's important to know the side effects of these medications. Um, One of them, it can be um, low sodium. So parents need to be aware of signs of this, including confusion, weakness, even seizures. But the dose is so low that we use that it's very uncommon for this to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it would really only occur with um, like like an overdose. Overdose if they took too many. And the side effect was actually more frequently associated with this nasal spray formulation, which mm-hmm. is still used in, for some conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to know that that formulation is no longer recommended for bedwetting. Yeah, so for bedwetting, it's a tablet dose, and the dose ranges from 0.2 to 0.4 milligrams. And then every three months or so, it should be stopped to see if the child has stopped wetting the bed on their own, and then the medication can be weaned off at that time. Yeah, that's true. So are there other medications besides desmopressin that a parent might hear about for bedwetting? There's one other that they might hear about. It's occasionally used. It's called amipramine, and it belongs to a class of medications called tricyclics. It's also used to treat depression and, and other conditions. Right. It would be. It's interesting that you might use a medication, an antidepressant medication for bedwetting. Yeah, it's a little bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So the mechanism of how it works is not really well understood. Um, it's really less frequently prescribed because if too much of the um, amipramine is taken, then you can get an overdose. And the overdose can be pretty serious. Right. Um, it could be potentially life-threatening, and it can have cardiac side effects. It can affect the heart. And so before starting this medication, the heart needs to be monitored with an EKG. That's all good information for parents to know. How about any other medications? Well, there's always other medications, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the few others that have been used really have higher likelihood of side effects, and so they're not routinely recommended at, as first-line treatment in kids. Okay, great. So we have a really good start here. We're limiting fluids. We're trying a bedwetting alarm, potentially mm-hmm. a medication if our kid is resistant. Mm-hmm. There was one other method I briefly want to mention that I read about. It wasn't one recommended by the ICCS, but... It may be worth a shot if it's not in your budget. Mm-hmm. Um, full disclosure, this did have some studies backing him up, but they were all performed around when Dr. Blumberg was in his residency. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> so this, a long time ago. <laughs> this was called a dry bed training. It was a more hands-on parent approach, and the instructions were kind of laid out like this. Um, On the first night, you would awaken your child every hour until 1 a.m. asking them if they had to use the bathroom Mm -hmm. or if they could wait. At the 1 a.m. time, you would make them get up and go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. and try to avoid. For the next five nights, you would only wake your child up once. Um, The first night, it would be three hours after falling asleep, and then you would kind of move that forward half an hour Mm -hmm. um, until, hopefully... On the sixth night, you let them self-awaken. Mm-hmm. You know, do you remember this one? I do. I remember hearing about that. And um, 
it's kind of problematic. I think it's problematic, too. I think it's labor-intensive for parents. The Uh kids, you would only be able to do this on summer break, right? Because (laughs) you don't want to send your kid to school after being woken up every hour. We've talked about how important sleep is for kids. Absolutely. But there was one study that showed a greater than 90% success rate with this method. So, I don't know. Maybe worth a shot. Mm -hmm. Don't do it when your kid's in school. Or if the parent's working, right? Because it's labor intensive <laughs> for the parent and really going to be tiring for them in the morning, too, if they're having to wake the kid up all the time. That's true. You don't mean you don't want to use your one week of vacation a year to, <laughs> to uh, train your kids not to wet the bed? Yeah, yeah. So no wonder that one fell out of favor. <laughs> but it's still an option for some parents, and especially if, if the alarm is really cost prohibitive. Totally. Mm-hmm. So if all of these still fail... Um, then we should start looking closer into secondary causes of what might be causing your child to continue to wet the bed. Mm -hmm. Like if they have an underlying condition that puts them at increased risk for bedwetting. Right. So we already spent a little bit of time talking about constipation, Mm -hmm. and we discussed urinary tract infection. Mm -hmm. And for constipation, your pediatrician may recommend a laxative, and the urinary tract infection, that would hopefully be picked up by the urinalysis. Right, and treated with antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Another condition that frequently occurs is um, sleep disorders that are related to bedwetting. Mm-hmm. So there's um, something um, like obstructive sleep apnea, and it's mm-hmm. estimated that 30% of kids with sleep apnea will also have nocturnal uh, enuresis. So a child with symptoms of sleep apnea may snore at night, and they may have periods where it seems like they pause their breathing for mm-hmm. a long time. It's kind of scary to watch sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes this causes them to not really have good sleep, and then they're excessively sleepy during the day. And, you know, some kids, though, if they don't have (laughs) enough sleep, then they're hyperactive. So it can go both ways. Yeah, kids are hard with those daytime symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, Sleep apnea can be diagnosed with a sleep study. That Mm -hmm. would be most likely performed by a lung doctor, a pulmonologist. And if a child is found to have sleep apnea, then the most common treatment is removing the tonsils and adenoids, so a tonsillectomy or adenoidectomy. And this allows for more open airway at night and really resolves the apnea. Mm -hmm. One study from 2016 looked at kids with bedwetting both before they had that tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy and after. And after the surgery, 76% of kids that wet the bed before did not after. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting, although I also saw some studies that did not support that. So jury's still out on that one, but, mm-hmm. but maybe worth a shot. Maybe worth a shot and maybe promising. And there's other benefits to curing right, sleep obviously. apnea. Yes, you know? yes. Yeah. So we discussed the most common associations, but there are some other more serious conditions that should be kept in mind, and these include diabetes, Mm -hmm. um, spinal cord issues that can um, prevent normal functioning of the bladder, and then there's some metabolic issues also. Right. And these are pretty rare, but we really should consider them in older kids, and really if they have persistent aneurysis that does not respond to the typical treatment that we've already talked about. Right. All right, so now that we've looked at some other medical causes earlier, um, we briefly touched about the diagnosis of secondary nocturnal enuresis. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And this is where a child has had a dry period for six months or longer, and then they begin to wet the bed again. Right, and many times this can be related to a psychological stressor like a divorce in the child's life, birth of a new sibling, So at this point, it's always important to explore what might be bothering your child. That's always a good idea. And Mm -hmm. then, of course, considering those medical diagnoses that we mentioned before. Right. Consider the medical diagnoses. And then, you know, like you said, with those stressors, I mean, kids can regress in a lot of different ways, Mm -hmm. including with the bedwetting. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm really glad that you brought up the psychological stress um, because bedwetting, even not in the face of a life stressor, that's got to be hard on kids and especially older kids. So what's the best way for parents to approach bedwetting while still making sure they're being sensitive towards the child? Yeah, that's a really good point. So as kids get older, typically closer to around six to eight years old, they may start to get self-conscious and embarrassed Mm -hmm. of bedwetting. They might start resisting going to sleepovers. If they're in, like, boy or girl scouts, they might not want to go overnight camping. And this really affects their self-esteem and friendships and Mm -hmm. a lot of these normal activities. Right, and these are developmentally normal activities, so we want the children to experience them. And I'm sure that can really be distressing for the child. So how can parents help their children through these feelings? Right. It's really important that the child doesn't feel it's their fault or that something is wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about, this is actually a very normal process, and kids will tend to grow out of it. So they mm-hmm. should not be shamed. For example, never say to your child something like, I can't believe you did this again, or you're costing us so much money because we're having to wash your sheets every night. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important not to place that blame. Mm-hmm. And it's also important not to talk about it in front of the child siblings or friends, mm-hmm. you know, because that, again, will just make them feel shame. Shame them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lastly, parents should reassure your children that this is a normal process for their age, and they really want to be an ally for their child, that they're going to help them get through this and kind of work on it as a team. Right, be on their side. Yeah. Um, so they may want to teach the child to do the laundry and so that they can wash the sheets in their pajamas on their own, and not not like as a punishment, no. not like, like because you're doing this, you have to do the laundry. But it's more for them to have control over it and limit um, who knows about it so mm-hmm. they can take care of the problem themselves. And obviously, this also helps them develop a sense of responsibility. Right. And if you approach it in this supportive and collaborative way with your kid, most kids are all obviously going to grow out of it and go on to have totally normal, healthy relationships, self-esteem, social development, all of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's just one thing to keep in mind. Okay, great. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground on this topic of bedwetting, and um, I, you know, I'm sort of running dry with what to talk about next. So, <laughs> oh god. So, so let's um, summarize the main points. So, bedwetting is extremely common in childhood, and most children will grow out of it as they age. And it's important to consider secondary causes such as constipation, sleep disorders, urinary tract infections, or diabetes. But most of the time, there's no medical problem associated with bedwetting. Right. Strategies that can be used um, to treat bedwetting can be limiting fluids, making sure you have a good bedtime routine, using a bedwetting alarm, and at certain times, medications as well. And remember to never shame your child for this behavior. Remind them that this is common and you'll work as a team to tackle a problem together. Right. So hopefully some of these tips, um, Andon may have tried some of them and maybe he can use some of them in the future if he hasn't. So Mm -hmm. definitely let us know how it goes. And that reminds me of a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. What's the joke? Okay. What's the opposite of urine? Poop? I don't know. You're out. You're in, you're out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That was one of your better ones. I'll give it to you. Okay. Did you wet the bed when you were a kid? I don't remember that. You don't? I Never. don't. I wasn't like, I didn't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. But I I remember one time, obviously, I was old enough to have a memory of like having a dream that I really had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I was like trying to make it to the bathroom. Uh-huh. I was, you know, maybe I was eight. I don't know how old I was. But and then like waking up and being like, oh, my gosh, 
you like, but waking up right when it was happening. Uh-huh. That was my last memory of the last time I wet the bed. Occasionally, I'll have a dream like that. And I'll have a <laughs> dream that I'm going to the bathroom and I'll wake up and I'll think, oh my God, what's going on? And I'm thinking, oh, whew, it's a dream. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I, I think that it's important to remember that these are normal, right? We still mm-hmm. experience them. Mm-hmm. And as your brain matures, you're able to wake up in those situations. But you, we've got to let time for that process to happen. When we're thinking about this episode, the bedwetting episode, you know, this thing about shaming the children really made me think of something, which is, and I can't remember the movie or books, but this has been a a theme that some authors have used, either in movies or books, where Mm. the kid is, like, shamed by the parent because they wet the bed. And Mm. the more they're shamed, the worse it becomes. The worse it becomes. Yeah, totally. And so it really needs to be handled with sensitivity, even though it's really stressful for the whole family. Yeah, totally. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.